verses 22 to 32, which is page 846 in the Living Bible. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription of it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. He has no needs. Oh, And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. And the second reading is Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 16, which is on page 926. Great examples of faith. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, and that what now we see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. 
Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Susie. Uh, if any other children wish to go out, Hillary has an activity in the foyer. We welcome Jason to open God's word today, and Jason, may God's anointing be upon you as you share with us today. Good morning again. Um, we continue through our journey through the book of Romans with one or two bonus of uh, messages along the way. Last week, Margaret um, spoke from the phrase from our text for year uh, about the righteousness of God. And the thing is that as we go through the book of Romans, we don't want to just tick the box and say, oh, yep, that's another book down and another 63 or 4 or 5 to go. We've done, we've done Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. We've done uh, Ecclesiastes and now we're under Romans, so getting through the books bit at a time but we don't just want to tick them off the list what we want to do is not just read through Romans but also to read around Romans uh, reading the different scriptures God's word to see what links there are and what better way than to also read Paul's other letters to the churches or his journey his mission journeys in the book of Acts and it just helps us to understand a little bit more about um, what he's writing and also uh, the text for the year. So our text for the year is Romans 1, 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And that last little re reference there, Paul takes from the book of Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk was a prophet, and he came to God with a complaint. He said, how can you be there and, and just let all this evil, this wrongdoing happen around us again and again? And God answers that complaint with a vision to Habakkuk. Uh, in fact, he reveals in a vision to Habakkuk that he's going to use the Babylonians to bring justice. And of course that means Habakkuk complains again, saying, how can you use this, this evil force, this evil nation to do such and such? And God shows how he's in control. Um, and he talks about uh, the Babylonians there in Habakkuk. It says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But then he reminds us, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. He brings hope to Habakkuk, who ends up praising him. There's other links too, as we, as I say, if we read through the book of Romans, we'll find links along the way. And um, Susie read um, the passage from uh, Hebrews, 
our text for the year starts with, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. And then the last little bit passage in Hebrews we read was uh, about those who live by faith. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. And it's nice to see this little reciprocation, the um, links between our faith and our unashamedness to be um, following the gospel of Christ and God not being ashamed of us. It's through faith that a righteous person uh, has life. This is both a present and a future sort of interpretation. That phrase in future tense means that um, it's through our faith in God and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, that we will inherit in eternal life. And if that is what we believe, then how we today live should demonstrate our faith in Jesus, both as individual Christians and as a church of, um, of God. Last term, uh, we teamed up with Mainly Music and they're using our hall and we've got a team here from the church who work along with the team leaders from Mainly Music. Uh, and I, I happened to read last week their manual, um, their manual for the team, and it's got this um, comment in there. It's about individual witness and about faith. Faith is crucial for Mainly Music uh, outreach to the community. And it says this, How are you going to share your faith with people who don't yet know God. We understand this to be a process and a lifestyle, not an event. There is a place for telling your story. However, first of all, we must live our life and faith seamlessly. Faith is not separate to life, and life is not separate to faith. Ensuring we know why we believe and maintaining that hope and joy in the everyday ensures we provide others with an understanding that our faith in God, through Jesus, actually works for us and is appealing to them. That's a fantastic statement. Uh, man, if I'm going to team up with an out community outreach, let me team up with uh, Manny Music. Okay? And if you're a, a parent of a young family, um, find out from Bianca about when that happens and, and get along to that. Or if you've uh, uh, got a young family, um, see if you can help out if you're available at the time. So what does our faith look like? What might others see in our daily walk with Jesus? What situations in our lives might reveal what your faith stands to? I'd like you to journey with me on uh, my ponderings on such questions. Uh, first, I'd like us to consider the similarities uh, between our world today and Paul's world when he was walking around the, um, the city of Athens. Uh, and in fact, as he was walking around there, he was looking around the city, and he saw shrine after shrine after shrine um, dedicated to different gods. Okay? And he also noticed that all the society in, in Athens was fascinated with the latest ideas, concepts, and beliefs. He states um, that people in Athens did nothing all day but talk about the latest ideologies. Can you imagine if the people of Athens had had Facebook? Scary thought. In fact, when I think about it, you know, if, if the people of Athens in those days had Facebook, social media, Twitter, Instagram, um, I think about that, that community which Paul's walking around, and I think there are some similarities to the world today. And while social media can be a good thing, there's so much in there 
which makes you look at all the different things and you have to filter it out sometimes to look at truth. So, yeah, when I picture the people of Athens, I see them with their cell phones out, twittering and talking about the latest ideologies. We have to be careful that we focus on the truth all the way through. Uh, and much of the Kiwi culture is the same as the city of Athens. They have a... The city of Athens, they had a um, shrine there and it was dedicated to the unknown God. There are people today who um, know or believe in an unknown God. I was talking to uh, someone I meet regularly and um, they, they love the concept of angels. They love the idea of light. They see it as beautiful. They know about church. They know about Christians. But they don't name themselves or call themselves a Christian. Uh, but... They do believe in a God out there somewhere, okay, an unknown God, a God out there somewhere who actually is in ultimate control of what happens. And so um, they believe if a situation happens that actually God will use it for the good of whatever might happen. That's what we believe in too. But for that person, Jesus is still an unknown God to them. And that's where um, we need to uh, look at the role of a Christian. That those who have beliefs but have an unknown God that there's a power there in control um, that we make that God known through the name Jesus Christ and the gospel message I suspect that too often we talk about God to these sort of people and we only use the word God that's sometimes appropriate but I think it leaves room for society to stay comfortable and sit with their concept of an unknown God or have misconceptions of who God is the importance of recognising Jesus and that each one of us needs redemption is crucial. By naming the unknown God, it does raise a challenge uh, for those in society yet to know him. And Paul makes some bold but very true statements about our God, about his faith in this God. First of all, he states that God created everything. Nothing happened by chance or simply by some mystical force of nature. Our belief in a creator God is part of our faith, as stated in the book of Hebrews. Uh, you know, um, in Hebrews it says, He created all nations via one man, that was Adam. And he saves all nations through one man, that's his son, Jesus Christ. We need to um, explore that. If you're not sure about creation and how God is our creator, then look more into the Bible, read the Bible. Paul also says, we can't put this God in a box. We can't satisfy him with our ways of society. His attributes are, and his ways are not our ways. In uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, a beautiful chapter to read if you're looking for a good read. Read Isaiah 55. It says in there, God says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you could compare. What we see as justice, grace, fairness, don't even equate to what God has as these absolutes. Um, and too often, again, we try and put God in a box to make him fit with society rather than being open enough to realise that God is different from what um, society wants him to be. Paul also says that um, he is not a distant God. He lives and moves around us. He isn't up there like the lady was telling me about, up there looking down on us from a distance. Uh, in fact, God sent his one and only son here on earth to be among us and to die for us. And then Jesus himself makes it quite clear that God's spirit dwells within all those 
who believe him and call him Lord. That's something which uh, those who, who are wondering about an unknown God and don't know Jesus as Saviour um, don't comprehend yet the Holy Spirit living in us. And the fourth uh, statement Paul makes is quite clear and bold and true is that Jesus died and he rose again. Not just rose again for a while and, and then died like a normal person would, but he's alive today. He rose again and lives forever. First fruits of resurrection. And Paul says, we now live in a time with no excuses for not knowing the gospel message of Jesus dying for our sins. Again, sometimes we make the excuse of thinking, well, one day everyone will know about the gospel message. Actually, Jesus died and rose again. We can all know that now. As I suggested, perhaps a fault we sometimes make when we get the opportunity to share the gospel message is that we talk about our faith to fit too comfortably into the description of an unknowing God when we need to boldly name uh, him as Jesus Christ. When we do so, there will be a range of responses. There will be those who sneer at us because we believe Jesus rose from the dead. There will be those who turn off pretty quickly because it just gets a bit too close to comfort for them to accept that God is in control and Jesus is the answer. But wherever there are people who believe in some unknown God out there, then there will always be people who want to know more, who are hungry for more and uh, for such good news. And they'll grow in their faith and call Jesus their saviour too. Today, one of our roles as Christians is to assist others in gaining faith in Jesus. So that God's purpose is that all people and nations will seek after him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. He is a God which is not very far away. So how does our faith stand up in various situations other than proclaiming it to those who want to know more? Let's look at a couple of instances in the Bible um, that show characters living out faith in certain circumstances. Uh, in Hebrews, we get that long list of um, men and women who lived by faith. If we look through the list, one of the ones that stand up and we pick out really well, especially if we've gone to Sunday school or look at Bible stories for kids, is the three men in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And we find that in the in the book of Daniel. Um, these three men who live by their faith, they make it clear from what they're, not just what they believe in, but what they're not going to do. Their faith is, all, uh, is demonstrated in the even if statement they make. Let me uh, tell you a little bit more about the story. So Nebuchadnezzar, this king of the Babylonians, he has decided in his pride to make a huge statue and to have everyone worship the statue, worship him um, every time they hear the music being played. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refuse to do that. Uh, and this makes King Nebuchadnezzar furious. And he says, if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? The three men say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. This infuriates um, the king, of course, makes it ten times hotter than before, and he throws the men into this furnace, um, believing that's all he has to do. 
But Nebuchadnezzar sees something most peculiar. As he's there thinking he's got rid of the three men, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Here we see a god who is not far from those who believe in him. Here we see the same faith Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have as we read about with Abraham. Abraham believing that God could make him the father of many nations and that in some way if he obeyed and, and sacrificed his one and only son Isaac in whom God's promise was to be fulfilled that God would somehow raise his son from the dead. Here we see the same faith that Noah had to prepare to build something that would seem meaningless and unfathomable in a world that had never imagined what was about to happen. The faith of these three men was not just shown in their belief that God, if he wanted to, could have rescued them from the physical persecution and death that seemed to be upon them, but their faith was in the action of even if God did not rescue them, they refused to be unfaithful to him. Um, we see the impact of that faith. Through their actions and through the actions of Daniel later on, King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the most powerful ruler of the world at that time, comes to know this God, the Saviour. He's seen him in the fiery furnace for these men, and then his pride takes a bit of a fall, and then he's lifted up and he recognises this God. And he proclaims uh, in Daniel 4, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honour the King of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. And we think back to Habakkuk 2.4, where we're told, look at the proud. So he's talking, God's talking about the Babylonians. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. And yet, we know this to be true. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. And it's an amazing story when you read Daniel, not just about Daniel and these three men, but Nebuchadnezzar, this ruler who God uses, but he doesn't just leave him there. He makes himself known to Nebuchadnezzar and he writes this letter to the entire world at the time as he knew it about the true God. You know, there are people in this church have a faith like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, proclaiming that even if God may not rescue them in this life from illness, from cancer, we have people at this stage struggling with cancer or other illnesses, maybe from other difficulty, it could be finances, it could be an overwhelming oppression, from, from the loss of loved ones, these men and women in our church and other churches around us today, they proclaim that they will maintain their faith in Jesus Christ as their saviour. Their faith and the gospel of Christ is revealed in their stance and their even if I have to go through this fiery furnace, even if it doesn't out, the outcome is not what I would want, I will still serve my God. Praise God for such Christians. Amen. 
Let's just pray for them right now. There might be someone you're thinking about who's going through a fiery furnace and you might want to name them in your hearts too. I'm going to pray here. Lord, you do. You are the God who is there all the time. You were in the fiery furnace and you showed miracles. And Lord, you do miracles today and we thank you for the miracles we've seen of you helping people out in, in illness and difficult times in miraculous ways. We also know, Lord, that there are people who are struggling today and, and I thank you that their faith is that even if they don't overcome the illness or the oppression or, or whatever it might be, that they still have complete faith in you. And I pray for these now. Just a moment of silence, thinking about some of the wonderful people in your hearts that you want to just bring to the Lord. Lord, today, give these people courage as they continue to have faith in you. Amen. It's also uh, maybe hard for us to explain our faith uh, in human terms, and that's because our faith is given to us via the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is our counsellor, okay? God who is not far away from us. Uh, it's through our growing in our relationship with God's Holy Spirit who dwells in us that we can grow in our faith. It's also the Holy Spirit who sometimes guides us uh, in our faith in ways that others might not be able to comprehend or understand why we do such a thing or why we make such a stance. But if you're prompted by the Holy Spirit and having that fellowship and relationship with him, then you sense where God might be directing you, what he might be calling you to do. Let me um, give you an example of, of Paul. We read in, um, earlier on, Acts 17, 18, of his journey to different places, to Athens. Now in Acts 20, he's um, heading back towards Jerusalem. He's in a, a rush. Uh, he talks about it, wanting to be back there for the festival of Pentecost. But when I read about what's happening in his life, there's almost an urgency. It's like he's got this prompting by the Holy Spirit urgently to be back to some place. And he says, uh, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in a city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And as he's journeying down there, he stops at one or two places and he meets with his fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, and he, they actually try and convince and persuade him not to go back to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's showing them what's going to happen. Uh, yet Paul knows he's being prompted in that direction. You see, it's not, um, it's not an even-if situation for Paul. It's even though this might happen, God's prompted me by his Holy Spirit to do such a thing. And as I said, he's travelling down, he stops in different places. There's even uh, one man, Agabus, he's a prophet, and he acts out a little scenario showing what's going to happen to Paul at that time. Paul says, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I'm not ready, am I not ready only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus? 
when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So as I mentioned, it's not an even-if situation, but an even-though. Even though the end result was going to be persecution, Paul understands his relationship with God's Spirit, that he was to go to Jerusalem, even though it was to lead to persecution. That he wouldn't see some of his fellow Christians again, but he knew the prompting of God's call through his faith. Now I want to suggest that um, some of these examples in the Bible seem pretty ominous okay, um, of what the end result is when we have our faith. In the book of Hebrews, the, um, what we read through, it balances out. It talks about the faith and seeing miracles and inner faith where people had to do something even though it might have led to persecution. I want to suggest that, um, that even though faith stance that we might have um, might also be demonstrated in times of plenty. When all is well with our day, we can show our faith through those times. Even though all is going well, I know God is prompting me to do this. Even though it's not really my problem, I'm going to give time to help out with that because I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me. Even though life is very comfortable and God's blessings are pouring down on me, I know the Holy Spirit's prompting me to go here or to do this or to contact someone. We are prompted by the Holy Spirit to act due to the faith that we have received. And if God is able to use individual people to reveal his glory and through the Spirit participate in miraculous events and revival, then what might it look like as a body of believers, each of us at St Andrew's Church, to step up as in one in faith, believing in Jesus? Wouldn't it be exciting to see what might happen? Rather than, um, rather than the challenge of this message to, be, uh, to look at how we can grow in our faith, I want to take a couple of steps back from that. And first ask ourselves, how do we grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit who dwells in all and, how, uh, and who gives us this faith to begin with? Think about the fellowship, the relationship you could have with the Holy Spirit, whether you think about him day and night or if we get too busy about that. Consider that. How might we grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit? And if we're keen and if we're ready to do that, then we have to ask ourselves, are there any barriers that are inhibiting our fellowship with the Holy Spirit? One that we may need to be aware of is if there's any conflict in our fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters. So again, we take a step back and ask ourselves, how do we grow in our fellowship with one another? that may mean we need to take a look at reconciliation at times. Uh, that it's needed, uh, reconciliation might be needed for any indifferences or hurts uh, or judging of one another or any ignorance of any other one's situation in life. And reconciliation, sometimes it seems like a, a scary thing or discipline, but I want to suggest that Reconciliation is a natural process in our relationships with one another that imitates God's great plan for all creation. So it's actually part of fellowshipping as a body of Christ, not something which you sometimes have to do or feel convinced to do, but actually it's part of what we do every day. It might mean that you have need 
and feel prompted to give someone a call or catch up with someone this week and, and just say sorry. But it might also be that it's time to catch up with someone who you've just been so busy with in life that you just haven't caught up with that fellowship. Maybe it's someone we were praying for earlier in the service and to actually just see how they're getting on. Reconciliation sits right beside fellowship. Next week, we're going to focus a little bit on reconciliation because next week we um, are going to um, serve communion again in church, which is exciting. And it's an element of communion is a reconciliation we have with God. And so, again, if you feel a prompting to, to talk to someone, catch up with someone, just to even say, hi, how are you getting on? Then let the Holy Spirit prompt you and don't go to sleep until you actually respond to that prompting. Let's pray. Lord, again we want to thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your goodness and, and making yourself known to us, of giving us a faith so we can know the truth. Lord, we ask now that we pause and listen to your voice. We pause and listen to your Holy Spirit you who are not far from us at any moment of our lives. And Lord, let us be very wide open to any promptings you give to us. It may be, it may be that we need to say sorry to someone or to say to someone that they, we felt hurt about such a thing. But it also may very well be that in this busyness of life we get so caught up with everything else that we haven't had time to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that might mean a call, a phone call, if we can't catch up with them personally. Or it might be a visit. It might be just a little bit of baking we make and, and drop into someone. But Lord, this coming week, help us to look at the fellowship with one another so that we have no barriers in the fellowship we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen.